Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Welcome to a brand new month of bringing clarity to the chaos. Today, our host, Dr. Larry Spargimino, welcomes author David Hevner to the program as they begin an in-depth investigation to reveal the schemes of the enemy during this rapidly emerging Antichrist system. This Friday and Saturday, Watchmen on the Wall and Prophecy in the News will be holding the 2022 Wichita, Kansas Prophecy Conference. Over 500 people have already registered, and we're excited to see you at this special two-day event. Speakers include Billy Crone, Dr. Rob Lindstead, Bill Federer, Kamal Salim, Michael Hoggard, Greg Patton, Larry Stamm, James Collins, Dr. Douglas Petrovich, Micah Van Huss, and Dr. Larry Spargimino. Don't miss your opportunity to be a part of this outstanding conference. Call 1-800-652-1144 and get all the details. Registration is free, but seating is limited. The Wichita, Kansas Prophecy Conference, this Friday and Saturday. Visit swrc.com and click on Events for all the details. Pastor Larry Spargimino and his guest David Hevner come now to look at some important end times investigations. David Hevner is on the telephone with me. He is the author of a new book titled End Times Investigations. This is a book that reveals how Satan is operating within the Antichrist system right now. This book deals with a lot of red-button issues, one of them, how to survive the Illuminati's cashless system and mandatory vaccine. End-time investigations will also give you some strategies in dealing with a demonic bombardment of planet Earth. David Hevener, thank you so much for your new book. God bless you, brother. It's a fantastic book. Thank you, Larry. It's good to be here. And hearing you read about the book, I need to take you with me on the road so you can introduce me. I love that. I love (laughs) the introduction. I'm ready to buy the book myself. I think after people hear what's in the book, they will want it because it's really amazing. In fact, you've had a very rich background. You had a job at Central State Mental Hospital in Kentucky. Tell us about your move to Hollywood and how you first broke into the motion picture industry. Yeah, Larry, I was a songwriter in Nashville, Tennessee in the late 70s, early 80s. I was lucky enough to have a few hit records, but I really wanted to get my music up on the silver screen in the movies. So I went to Hollywood, didn't know anybody, and I thought, well, if I go to the producer, I'll just pitch him my songs. But they weren't interested in my music. At the beginning, they thought I was an actor, so they wanted me to audition. I wasn't an actor, but I did an impersonation of Clint Eastwood. And I got a role in a martial arts film that was very successful. The problem with that is I couldn't do martial arts either. (laughs) But this was all God's plan to have me infiltrate the film industry. So 50 movies later of writing, directing, starring, and producing with such greats like Tony Curtis and Martin Landau and Ernest Borgnine, what I consider the Hollywood greats, I'm honored that I could be part of Hollywood in a small way. Well, you certainly benefited from the experience, and you learned a lot, good, and really the dark side. But from being a Hollywood insider for many years, you have developed, I would say, a very unique perspective. In your book, End Times Investigations, you talk about Hollywood mind control. 
So define the term gaslighting and share some of the ways Hollywood is brainwashing the minds of its viewers. Gaslighting is actually a term. It's actually in the dictionary. And here's the joke. It's Hollywood's the only entity I know that can make a movie about something that they're doing to society without society knowing it, and they actually turn it into a real definition that ends up in the dictionary. And what does that mean? It's a movie made in the 1940s about a guy that married a wealthy woman, and he wanted her to go crazy so he could inherit her money once she was in a mental institution. So at the turn of the century, they had lights that were gas, you know. So he would sneak upstairs in the middle of the night and shake the lights, and she would see the lights shaking. He'd come back down, and she'd wake up and say, did you see those lights shaking? And he mm-hmm. goes, no, I don't know. And then he would take his clothes and put them in her drawer, and he would say, honey, where's my clothes? And she'd go, I have no idea. And he would go to her drawer and say, oh, they're here. You put them in here. So it was called gaslighting. So what that meant was it was somebody that was telling you what you see isn't there or what isn't there is really there. And this is what Hollywood and the Antichrist is doing to God's people. He's telling us that what we see isn't really there, right? And what we don't see is really there. So it's called gaslighting, and it's a definition that ends up in Webster's after the movie was released. And it's exactly what the Antichrist is using Hollywood for to do to God's people in these last days. Mm. Deception, I think, is very widespread. I mean, there is no question about it. And so would you say that Hollywood is one of the big purveyors of deception today in our world, especially in our country? Yeah, I tell people Hollywood is not a system. Hollywood is a vehicle which carries the systems. And I talk about this in the book. I call it the satanic pyramid, where you've got basic systems such as the religious system, the financial system, the political system, the cultural system, right? These are systems. All of these systems are the systems of the Antichrist. Hollywood is not a system. It's a vehicle that carries these systems to the people. So Hollywood in and itself is benign. It's who is controlling Hollywood. That's just like I'm making Last Evangelist TV series. Well, I'm using the vehicle of Hollywood to get God's message out, whereas the Antichrist uses Hollywood to get his agenda across. His agenda is self-destructive, destroys the family, destroys the nation, destroys all of the values that we have been brought up to cherish. It seems like he's doing pretty well at that. Well, absolutely. And I talk about this also about Disney. Just lately, I don't know if you've heard, but I've been on Disney for a long time, for about four years. Now they've uh, arrested a chain of human traffickers that actually work at Disney. Disney is just coming out with that new kids movie where you've got a lesbian, two females kissing on screen. People don't know this, but Disney is its own government. When Walt Disney made a deal with Florida, they made a deal that they would become its own government. They would be exempt from the federal and the local governments to a certain extent. And this is how they get away with a lot of stuff. So don't think for a second that just because something's marked as kids programming, that this is not where the Antichrist lives. This is exactly where he goes, because he wants the family. He wants to take out the father. He wants to take out the mother and get to the kids. At the very beginning of your book, you write that demons were trying to destroy you at a young age. You know, I would think a sense of that 
and your recollection of that in view of what you now know about spiritual warfare would be very insightful. So what do you mean they were trying to destroy you at a young age? What happened to you? Well, because I believe, well, I know that we're all created for a purpose by God. We all have an anointing and an appointing, and Satan knows how dangerous we are to his agenda. So I think that he knew somehow what I would grow up to be, and he wanted to take me out as a small child. When I was with my grandfather at five years old, my grandfather was an alcoholic. He drove a pie truck delivering pies, and he would be drunk by 12 o'clock, and I'd be riding with him in the pie truck, and I remember one time he weaved over into the other lane into a semi. I remember this, Larry, like it was yesterday. I'll never forget it. Now, I didn't understand all this at the time, but we went into that semi. It's almost like we went through the semi. In other words, we came up on a big truck, but we didn't crash. It actually seemed like we drove through it, and at the other end, the car started spinning around, and he ended up on the side of the road. So what I believe is that was an apparition. The demon wanted to take me out, but I believe God had his angels around us that supernaturally brought us through that. And then he would take me to Central State Hospital and deliver pies there. And that was my first encounter with demons. When they came and banged on the truck, he locked me inside and told me not to get out. It was too dangerous. And so I stayed inside while he was in the cantina delivering the pies. I actually had a lady come up beat on the window. I'll never forget her eyes. They were very moon-shaped black eyes. And I didn't know it at the time. I just knew it was freaky. But now, as I know what I know now, I realize these were demons that were trying to get at me. Well, I think one of our concerns as a parent and certainly as a pastor, I'm a pastor of a local church as well, we love families, but we see families in great jeopardy. And I've often said trying to stay clean today is like kind of wearing a white suit and working in a coal mine. It's really very, very difficult. And I was reading your section on page 43, Toxic Shame, a Family Affair. And you say that one of your patients was a young girl named Billy Joe, a thin 14-year-old with long brown hair who was diagnosed with what we would call today bipolar disorder. There were some really strange things about that. And I wonder, what can we learn from Billy Joe? For example, you were speaking to the parents, and the parents said that she slept with eight boys in one room. Is that kind of common in eastern Kentucky and maybe in Appalachia? Back then, it definitely was. Probably back then, Larry, it was common a lot more across the country than it is now, because simply because... Back then, houses were small. They were log cabins. They were just meant to eat in and sleep in, and then you worked outside. So, therefore, if you have one bedroom and you got 12 kids, they're all going to (laughs) pile into into one room. But, yeah, at that time in the 70s in Kentucky, and I'm not just pinpointing it to Kentucky. It happened, I think, all over the country. They sleep together, and then the demon comes in. The demon of sex comes in and causes perversion, and then weird things happen, and this is what happened to the patient, Billy, that I write about in the book. Wow. It was a very, very sad case, and you worked in a psychiatric institution. From what I understand, sometimes, I mean, it's so sad. Uh, You hear the screams, the shrieks, 
I don't know, do they use electric shock therapy any longer? Is that legal, or have they resorted to some kind of drug? As of 10 years ago, I heard they still did in rare instances, but they pretty much started fading away with that. When I worked there, they still allowed me, I wasn't a doctor, I was a social worker, and I had a nurse present, and we would administer shock therapy back then. So I was very familiar with it. Hmm. I understand, David, that you are releasing the End Times TV series, The Last Evangelist, which incorporates themes covered in your book. The storyline, after a virus empowers the government to regulate churches, God's true believers go underground. Agent John Rhodes tracks down the nonconformers and arrests them. One night, however, God enlightens John to the truth. Then John sets out to protect the innocent he once persecuted. Now, the hunter becomes the hunted, and John is the target of the New World Order. Share the story behind the making of The Last Evangelist, because it sounds really intriguing, and just to think that it's going to be a TV series, that's fantastic. God gave me the script about four years ago, back way before this pandemic and the virus and all this stuff. And when I wrote it, I didn't quite know what to think of it and what to do with it. I just knew that that I had to do something. So I would read it to people, and they would go, this is great, but it's like a sci-fi, or it's a futuristic. And I go, yeah, but there's something to this. Well, I was going to go to the studios, because, you know, I've made over 50 movies, Larry, and I could go and get deals done. But God said, don't. Don't take it to the world. Keep it in-house. Go to my people. So I set up a crowdfunding campaign. Go to lastevangelist.com. So I set up a crowdfunding campaign, kind of like The Chosen, People donated, and that's how I made the first episode. And so I'm making it with God's people so that I don't have to change the story if I take it to a studio. And then God said, don't release it on any platform except ones that you can have control over. Mm, And so pretty much, Larry, I'm doing it all in-house because that's what God said to do. And the reason he wants me to do it is because it's a precursor to what's happening down the road. So. The first episode deals with virus and vaccines. Well, we have it, and it was written before it happened. The next one deals with the cashless society. Well, that's going to be happening, I believe, in the next six months to a year. We're all going to be under the regime of no cash. It's all digital. Well, what can we as Christians do to be wise to the schemes of the enemy? They are force-fed to us by Hollywood and by the media, by even the government. We have to go with what God says. You know, Jesus said, Matthew 24, paraphrasing, be not deceived. Don't be deceived. Now, the only way you can be deceived is if you have no knowledge, right? Because if you have knowledge, you can't be deceived. So the first thing we have to do as God's people, other than praying, praying is the first thing. Reading his word is the second. But the third is so important that I can't tell you without it, many Christians will go down, and that is to be informed. Now, we become informed by asking the Holy Spirit to guide us and lead us to the people, to the readings we're supposed to read, to the shows we're supposed to watch. The Holy Spirit will use all these things that God's people are making and will inform us. So we have to now not go to church just on Sunday and all Wednesday night and play Sunday school. We need to not only go to church, but we need to be the church and get out on the streets and see what is really going on.
Your book, of course, mentions how Hollywood is influencing the world we live in, promoting many nefarious agendas, one of which is the alien agenda. Tell us, what role has Hollywood played in pushing forth the alien agenda, and what are some of our favorite movies that have been used in this way? First of all, aliens are not extraterrestrial beings. They're interterrestrial. They're inside. They're demonic. But Hollywood has pushed this agenda of there's life out there on another planet. So when we have the great disclosure, I believe the Antichrist arises. He will arise as a superior being, possibly from another dimension, from another planet. Hollywood has set the stage for this. One of the movies was back in the 70s called E.T. It was about a little alien that they found, and this cute little alien boy they brought into their home, made part of their family, and the alien actually dies and is resurrected back to life in the film, which really concerned me when I saw that. And so they're setting up aliens as real beings from another planet and also as friendly beings who actually want to help you. This is the danger. Mm. So in other words, we're looking for salvation, maybe comfort, maybe insight, maybe understanding from some kind of alien beings rather than looking to the Lord. Yeah, they'll promise you through artificial intelligence, because this is how they'll operate, they'll promise you a life of 500 years, you can live be 500 years, you can be young again, you can be superhuman, you can have pretty much anything you want, they'll promise you anything you want. And they'll do this through this alien deception. It's just a part that it will play in the great disclosure when the man of sin arises. In your studies and in your thinking, for example, do you see public education as being one of the means by which the Antichrist system is taking over the country? I mean, I know a lot of things that are going on in public schools, the school boards, the battles there with parents, they seem to be very, very evil, to say the least. Does this fit in the end-time scenario as well? Oh, absolutely. Now, remember, we're talking about systems, Larry. The school system, I don't want to talk about individuals. There are people with good hearts in these systems that either are caught in it, they're scared to death, they don't know what to do, or they're deceived, you know, just brain dead. We have to pray for them. But the system is definitely of the Antichrist. I believe it was set up for the purpose of doing what it's doing right now to our children. The biggest problem with the school system is they are taking God out of people's lives, and they're replacing it with New Age methods, such as no prayer, but you can meditate. And I talk about this in the book, the three M's medicine, media, and meditation, and this is going to be the three things the Antichrist is using. Meditation is not prayer. Meditation is leaving your mind open to whatever spirit is out there and meditating on it. That's a dangerous practice. We'll have more End Times Investigations with David Hevner on our next program. Are you a Christian? If your answer is yes then you are in a real war, a spiritual war involving deadly satanic deception. Can you discern truth amidst a sea of Satan's lies? 35 years' experience as a singer-songwriter and filmmaker in Hollywood, along with a solid background as a social worker, granted unique insight to David Hevner, 
whose eyes have been opened to a sinister agenda affecting us all. In his new book, End Times Investigations, Havner reveals the schemes of the enemy during this rapidly emerging Antichrist system. Order your copy of End Times Investigations today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. You can also order online swrc.com. Now, let's take a look at some important scripture with staff evangelist James Collins. The Bible says in Mark 15, verses 25 through 26, And it was the third hour that they crucified him, and the superscription of his accusation was written over the King of the Jews. Today, if you will bear with me for a minute or two, I want to show you something amazing from God's Word. This is one of those gems in the Bible that is hidden right in plain sight. When Jesus was crucified, Pilate wrote the sign that was nailed to the cross. Today I want to look at what Pilate wrote, and I think that you will learn something if you'll stay with me for just a couple of minutes. For the past several weeks, I have been studying the crucifixion and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ for a book project that I'm working on. As I was studying this passage in Mark, I turned to John's gospel. John gives a little more detail about the sign that Pilate hung on the cross. In John chapter 19 and verse 19, we read, And Pilate wrote a title. Now let me stop right there for a moment. I want you to understand who wrote the sign that was placed on the cross. Who wrote it? The Bible clearly tells us that Pilate wrote this himself. Let's continue with John 19.19. The Bible says, And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. This title then read many of the Jews, for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city, and it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. Pilate wrote in three languages. He wrote in Hebrew because the people were Jewish. So he wrote in their own language. He wrote in Greek because that was the common everyday language of the street. It was the language used in business and commerce. He also wrote in Latin because at the time, Latin was being introduced as the official language of the Roman Empire. So Pilate wrote in three languages, Hebrew because he was in Jerusalem with Jewish people, Greek because it was the practical language, and Latin because it was the official language. Now I want to look for a moment at what Pilate wrote. I don't know if you realize this or not, but all languages flow towards Jerusalem. It's true. Many people are not aware of this truth, but all languages flow towards Jerusalem. All the languages east of Jerusalem, such as Aramaic, Chinese, and Japanese, they all go right to left toward Jerusalem. The language from the nations west of Jerusalem go from left to right, such as Latin, Greek, and German. So Pilate's sign had Hebrew words which read right to left, and Greek and Latin words which read left to right. But it's when we look at the Hebrew inscription that Pilate wrote that we find something really amazing. Pilate wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. In Hebrew, that is Yeshua, Hanat Arai, Vav Melech, 
Hayawud M in English, that is Jesus the Nazarene, the King of the Jews. Now remember, the sign Pilate wrote really upset the Jewish religious leaders. In John 19.21, the Bible says, Then said the chief priest of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Pilate told the Jews, What I have written, I have written. The language in Greek is even stronger than that. Pilate said, What I have written will always remain written. Now, I want you to understand how serious Pilate was about this sign. The particular wording he chose displeased the Jewish leadership, and they asked him to change it, and Pilate strongly refused. Why? Why did Pilate refuse? Because he knew the Jewish culture. You see, the Jewish people were fascinated by acronyms. An acronym is an abbreviation formed from the initial letters of other words and pronounced as a word. Let me give you an example. When I was in the Army, we used to say someone who didn't show up for work was AWOL. The word AWOL is an acronym that stands for absent without leave. You take the A from absent, the W and the O from without, and the L from leave, and you have the acronym AWOL. The Jewish people were fascinated by acronyms. There are several examples in the Bible. For example, Psalm 119. Psalm 119 consists of 22 stanzas of eight lines each. Each stanza starts with successive letters of the Hebrew alphabet. So it goes through each letter from Aleph, which is the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, to Tav, which is the last. The theme of Psalm 119 is God's Word. So the acronym of the entire Hebrew alphabet is a way of saying God's Word is the answer to everything in life from A to Z. So when you look at what Pilate wrote as an acronym, you see something amazing. The first letter is a yud. The second letter is hey. The third letter is vav. The fourth letter is hey. Yud, hey, vav, hey is the name of the unpronounceable name of God. In English, the letters are Y-H-W-H. We would say Yahweh or Jehovah. Pilate hung a sign with the unpronounceable name of God, Yahweh, over Jesus as he hung on the cross. He was putting it in an acronym the Jews would understand. They would not miss that, and that's why they wanted him to change what he wrote. But Pilate wouldn't change it. I believe he intentionally wrote what he wrote because he knew his culture. If Pilate had rewritten it in a way that they had requested him to, it would have not have spelled out the name of God. The question is, did Pilate believe what he wrote? Did he do it just to upset the Jewish leadership, which he realized delivered Jesus up because of envy? Or was he beginning to suspect that there was more going on here than he previously understood? Did he believe Jesus was God? It makes you wonder. Regardless, it is amazing when you dive into God's Word and come to realize that a Gentile Roman government official, Pontius Pilate, spelled out the very name of God and placed it over Jesus as he hung on the cross. This is James Collins reminding you that the Bible says, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of our God shall stand forever. 
End Times Investigations by David Hevner is available to order right now. Call 1-800-652-1144 or order online swrc.com. Tomorrow, David Hevner returns with more End Times Investigations. Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station or by subscribing to our daily Watchman on the Wall podcast. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com.